As Election Day finally arrives, Americans look forward once again to the majestic panorama of American democracy, in which men and women gather peacefully to choose their leaders while Black Lives Matter and Antifa burn their cities to the ground all around them. With our culture so divided between those conservatives who wish to protect our constitutional norms and processes and those inhuman homunculi hiding behind masks while they terrorize citizens, destroy property and loot goods before voting for Joe Biden, we here at The Daily Wire would like to begin a deep and profound examination of the causes of our division. But who has time for that? So instead, let's just speculate recklessly on what has so divided Americans from Democrats. Some people feel the increasing leftist bias of every elite communications outlet has deepened the natural hostility between Republicans and violent buffoons, and that the professors in our academies are know-nothing nincompoops who spread the toxin of socialism to young people left ignorant by lower schools run by rabid radicals more bent on teaching genderless perversity than history, science, and math, so that they turn out brainless journalists who not only magnify anonymous lies against patriots, but cover up any truth that may reveal the left to be the mean, ugly, dishonest pile of steaming horse manure that has transformed our entertainers into humorless propaganda spewing zombies, cursing the very society that has elevated them to the highest levels on the basis of good looks and a dash of talent so small it would be totally invisible if we weren't drawn to stare at the pornographic self-displays that have corrupted our youth and degraded our national conversation until we're no longer able to fulfill the basic duties of a free society, but are tempted to languish in mind-numbing hedonism while a small band of over-credentialed morons turn our cities into gigantic trash heaps of homelessness and poverty. And some people think there's some other problem. I'm not sure what, maybe video games. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. All right, we are back laughing our way through the now imminent fall of the <laughs> Republic. Uh, we've been at least, listen, at least we don't have long to wait. I think that's the important thing. Just keep your head down and duck as it comes collapsing around you. Or, or conversely, go over to YouTube and subscribe to the Andrew Claven YouTube channel so you will continue to get our content during the collapse of society and the death of civilization. Uh, if you go on and subscribe to the Andrew Claven YouTube channel and hit the little bell, even when you are living in Mad Max, I will come by on my gas-powered uh, little machine and deliver content to your uh, little desert redoubt uh, before you know the wars begin. Also, if you leave a comment and the comment is, uh, you know, appropriately inarticulate and insane, uh, we will add it to our commentary here by reading it aloud on the air because it'll fit right in. Today, we have we got a lot of comments, a lot of comments on Jack Dorsey of Twitter and the way, especially the way he looks, because he's got that like madman beard. He's got the spike in his face. You know, he's just like the guy looks like he is not the person who you want to have governing uh, your free speech rights uh, on Twitter or anywhere else, or maybe not the guy you want walking around free. Uh, Necropolis TC writes, Dorsey looks like he was in the hole with Saddam Hussein. <laughs> 
sane, which maybe he was. I'm not sure. It, it is quite, you know, it, does, it is telling. Those beards, I'm telling you, I've commented on this privately myself. Whenever I see a guy wearing one of those long gray beards and he turns out not to be Alexander Solzhenitsyn, I, I worry that something he's gone over the edge. So I voted for Donald Trump in 2016, but I voted for him with a shrug of tragic resignation. I thought a battle between him and Hillary Clinton was like one of those old Japanese monster movies, Mothra versus Godzilla. You're sort of rooting for one monster over the other, but either way, Tokyo gets destroyed. But it turned out I was wrong, happily wrong. Trump has done a very, very good job. He allowed all of his personal flaws, his rudeness, his ignorance, his moral corner cutting to be contained within the structures of our constitutional system. No matter what they say, he has not been a lawless guy. He has actually obeyed the courts and obeyed the rules. His virtues, his fix-it practicality, his contrarian common sense, his visceral love of America and its freedom— all of his virtues were turned to the tasks of protecting our values and our freedoms. And I think he did a really fine job. He curtailed the reach of government by cutting regulations and appointing constitutionalist judges. He beat back the globalizing rush of the elites, which would transfer power from the people's representatives here to unaccountable world organizations. He has refused the panicked calls to abandon federalism and create new bureaucratic structures to handle a pandemic better handled by each state. He has defended the right to speak, the right to worship, the right to bear arms. He has returned sanity to our foreign policy. Meanwhile, the left has become what they accuse everyone else of being. They're authoritarians, they're racists, their cities are awash in homelessness, poverty, crime, and mass violence. And yet, <laughs> no evidence whatsoever, they believe so completely that they deserve power, they can't imagine a scenario in which their defeat is legal and legitimate. Everyone who disagrees with them is hateful. Every political loss they suffer is due to some flaw in the system that must be fixed right away. What's more, they personally behave like trash. Their journalists lie and cover up. Their activists are violent. Their women sit in cars and film themselves screaming like banshees. Their men renounce their manhood, which may account for their women. I will be voting for Donald Trump again tomorrow, but this time I'm going to vote for him with exuberance and possibly joy. If the republic is in the late stages of its life, it's not the fault of his faults. And if it lives another generation, it may well be by virtue of his virtues. I don't know if Trump can pull off another miraculous victory. It would be miraculous. But this time, I will be rooting for him all the way. So here's an interesting story about my friends at Barnes & Noble. I live off Barnes & Noble and Amazon. They not only sell my books, but they sell me books. And there was a massive cyber attack against them, the breach potentially expose customer data, including email addresses, billing and shipping addresses, telephone numbers, and transaction histories. And the attack also impacted its Nook ebook services. Some customers have been unable to access their Nook libraries, and their previous purchases have disappeared, and others were unable to log into the firm's online platform. It's really important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. Every day, we put our information at risk on the internet. You could miss certain identity threats by just monitoring your credit. That's where LifeLock comes in. 
LifeLock helps detect a wide range of identity threats, like your social security number for sale on the dark web. If they detect your information has been compromised, they'll send you an alert. I've gotten a couple of them. They're very, very useful. They make you understand that you've got to protect yourself. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock can see threats that you might miss on your own. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year. Go to LifeLock.com slash Clavin. That's LifeLock.com slash Clavin for 25% off. Go on the dark net and find out how to spell Clavin because that's the only way you can know that it's K-L-A. <laughs> you, know the, you know the thing. <laughs> you know the thing. Right? <laughs> having said all that, having said all that, I want to pause here. There's not much in the news but waiting now and anxiety. And so I want to pause here and take a look at the bigger picture. And I, I want to be honest. And right now, the data, the polls, the things that we, the way we research these things go heavily against Trump. There are signs that the Gap is narrowing, but really the polls show him losing and not only him losing, but losing the Senate as well so that they will have for the next two years, the Democrats will have uh, control of the government, which could be a really bad thing. Um, Henry Olson, the guy you guys hate, but I, I bring him on because I feel like he's a very sober, honest reader of polls. He writes, former Vice President Joe Biden will win comfortably unless we experience the greatest polling failure in modern history. And I want to address that for a minute. We might. We might actually experience the greatest polling failure in modern history. And if that's true, if Trump wins, it's, I don't think it's because the polls have been dishonest. I don't think that they were trying to sell us something. I think it's because the pollsters have no idea what's going on and no way to measure it. Remember, polling was never a science. It's never been a science. It's always been a kind of like attempt to sort of get the feel of the land. And even if Trump loses, even if he loses, it may be true that the polls simply do not reflect what's going on. And I think that that is really a situation that all of us are in. And I, I've had some ideas about why all of us are in that situation, why all of us are kind of dealing with an election. You know, you like Trump, you hate Trump, you like Biden, you hate Biden and all those things. But really, really, we're dealing with something so much deeper than that. And we're not talking about it at all. You and I have been talking about it. I've been talking about it. But I don't think most of the country is talking about the things that are really on the line. We're constantly distracted by the issue of the moment, the panic of the moment. So I called this show, I named the title of this episode, uh, Kafifi versus Barakatakakare, because, because Joe Biden has been going around as he's trying to step up his campaigning. He's getting exhausted and uh, absolute gibberish is coming out of his mouth. So these are some of the things he said recently is cut eight. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true international effort to pressure. Barack and I think it's a right <laughs> for people that bad in health care. <laughs> he's, he's a blithering idiot. <laughs> the guy is just a blithering idiot. And Trump, you know, you, you all remember, uh, we all remember Kafifi, Trump quoting, uh, typing, tweeting Kafifi in one of his tweets and all of us kind of staring at this thing. It must have been some spell check error or something like that. And I used that as a joke for the longest time. I just kept doing it. But then I got bored. So Knowles, you know, he, he was in need of materials. So, so he took it. But, but but it was really funny. It was a fun. It's funny. But at the same time, it, it actually is kind of an accurate representation of what this election has been about. Now, you and I have translated all of this into ideas. What are we fighting for? What do we believe? Donald Trump has picked up on some of that. He really has. 
most of the conversation in the press, most of the conversation among our poobahs and experts has been about nothing. It's been about nonsense. And I really want to talk a, a little bit about how that works and how, like, how it makes it so easy for us, our freedoms and our democracy, our republic, to slip away piecemeal instead of actually having a kind of Lord of the Rings battle over the things that actually matter. So let, let's just take a look at some of this a lot. I've, I've talked a lot about how Trump has been a necessary figure, that he has been a guy, that his rudeness, his thick skin, his indifference to the norms of governance and being presidential were all necessary to fight back against the empire of lies. The empire of lies has, had essentially replaced our standards of good behavior and politeness with standards of leftism. So if you said, you know, I don't, I don't actually think the welfare system is very, you're a racist. You, beca you became evil. You became, it wasn't that you, they disagreed. It wasn't like we had an argument about that. You became a racist. If you said, you know, I'm sorry, but I think the problem in uh, poor black neighborhoods is not the police, but the criminals, you know, you're a racist. You know? So and they just replaced our system of debate with essentially um, corralling us within certain ideas or you were penalized. And some of, and some people, you know, it's one thing for me to talk about this on the Daily Wire where they're going to let me say pretty much anything I want. It's another thing for a guy who's got three kids and he's going to work and he if he says the wrong thing, he could lose his job. And that's essentially what they have been constructing all this time. It's really been brilliant. And so we needed a guy like Donald Trump who doesn't care, who doesn't care that they call him racist, doesn't care that they say, you know, they throw all these rocks and brickbats at him and he fights back. And everybody said the same thing. You know, the never Trumpers made fun of us when we said, well, at least he fights back, but at least he fought back. That's a really important thing. But it's not a good thing that we need Donald Trump. OK, this has nothing to do with Trump personally. It's not a good thing that we need a man like that. It is a better thing when our country is in a situation where we can address things in a statesmanlike way. It's not a good thing that they're boarding up buildings in cities because they're afraid that the election outcome is going to cause people to burn things down. These are not good things, right? These are things that we don't want to have happening. We want to be able to talk to our fellow Americans on the left in a statesmanlike way and debate principles and talk about the things that matter. But it has become virtually imp impossible. I mean, even, even things that the right is doing, and this is one that I think is especially bad, like the debt, right? The left wants to tax us and tax us and tax us in order to spend and spend and spend because every penny they spend buys them power. It doesn't buy you better health care. It buys you worse health care. In fact, it doesn't buy you, you know, a safety net. It doesn't buy you anything. It buys them power. That's why they want it. But we want to cut taxes, right, but not cut spending. We never cut the spending. We never go because people like their free stuff. You know, people like free stuff better than they like freedom, right? So we, we do these things and we don't discuss when somebody comes forward, a Paul Ryan, anybody like that, and starts to talk about the debt and starts to talk about the need to reform entitlement. We chase them out of town. We chase them out of town. The right chases them out of town because we're not talking about the things that matter. And in the meantime, of course, our system of, of information has broken down, not a little bit, but entirely. I mean, we had three years of the Russian collusion story. I, th I think about that for a minute. You have to. I mean, I know our news cycle is so bad, so intense, so crazy that we can't even 
uh, remember what it was like to have this story in the paper every day about whether Trump was a Russian spy and guys like John Brennan, you know, the former head of the CIA sitting there on TV going, yes, I think I think the likelihood, the likelihood is that this was a Russian, he's a Russian asset. You know, Adam Schiff literally talking about this stuff. And it was all fantasy. It was all garbage. It was all McCarthyite lies and the leaks of people inside the government trying to destroy Donald Trump and oppo research by Hillary Clinton elevated to information by James Comey's incompetence and his uh, his stupidity. I don't even think Comey can be called a conspirator. We had years of that, three years of that, and now we've got a story that is obviously a legitimate story about Joe Biden's family. And this story has gotten worse and worse and worse. This story now is really what looks like Joe Biden was taking Joe Biden's family was taking money from a Russian company that was synonymous with the Russian government and not just synonymous with the Russian government. I'm sorry, the Chinese government, the Chinese government, not just synonymous with the Chinese government, but an actual agent of the Chinese Communist Party being used to move into countries, loan the money, give the money for infrastructure projects, and then use that money as a way of pushing Chinese power into the into these places in the West. And Hunter Biden and uh, Jim Biden, Joe Biden's brother, were clearly taking cash from these guys who were being spied on by our guys. The FBI was actually getting had FISA warrants out against these guys because they thought, oh, this is a Chinese infiltration system. This is a Chinese op that's going on infiltrating the West, and it has to be looked at. And that, that's what brought the company down. That's what brought that Chinese company down is that they were exposed by our intelligence people. And that's what brought the company down and left Hunter and Jim Biden kind of st- sitting there in a panic. Are we going to be caught up on this? And now it looks like there was some investigation into the Biden family. And the notion that Joe Biden knew nothing about this, the notion that he knew nothing about this is ridiculous. And Trump is, Trump is selling this. This is cut to six. For decades, Joe Biden let other countries rip you off, rip off our country and cheat America blind. And there was a group they would just they would let him do anything. Biden has been there for five decades. And the only people who benefited from his policies were himself and his family. Frankly, he shows up every four years and then goes back to Washington and caters to special interests. But my only interest is you. So. Victor Davis Hanson has a piece in American Greatness, which is a magazine, uh, a journal dedicated to bringing an intellectual framework to what Trump is doing. It's called Donald Trump Counter-Revolutionary. And he says, until Donald Trump's arrival, this VDH, until Donald Trump's arrival, the globalist revolution was almost solidified and institutionalized with the United States increasingly its greatest and most woke advocate. We know its bipartisan establishment contours. Here it is. China would inherit the world in 20 or 30 years. The self-appointed task of American elites, many of whom had already been enriched and compromised by Chinese partners and joint ventures, was to facilitate this all-in-the-family transition in the manner of the imperial British handoff of hegemony to the United States in the late 1940s. Our best and brightest, like the Biden family, Senator Dianne Feinstein, Bill Gates, or Mark Zuckerberg, would enlighten us about the real China so we yokels would 
not fall into Neanderthal bitterness as they managed our foreordained decline. We would usher China into the world community, grimacing at but overlooking the destruction it wrought on the global commercial order and the American interior. We would politely forget about Hong Kong. We've already politely forgotten about Hong Kong. Taiwan, Tibet, and the Uyghurs. Hollywood would nod as it put out more lucrative comic book and cartoonish films for the Chinese markets, albeit with mandated lighter-skinned actors. The NBA would nod twice and trash a democratic United States while praising genocidal China, becoming richer and more esteemed abroad to make up for becoming boring and poorer at home. The universities would nod three times and see a crime not in Chinese espionage and security breaches, but in the reporting of them as crimes. So our revolutionary role would be to play stuffy and snooty Athenian philosophers to the new muscular Roman legions of China. Given our elites, superior morality, genius, and sense of self, we would gently chide and cajole our Chinese masters into becoming enlightened world overseers and democrats all the easier the richer and more affluent Chinese became. For now, says Victor Davis Hanson, Trump has stopped that revolution. And, you know, I'm not even sure that Trump would have seen it that clearly, but in some sense, that's true. A globalized world is going to be a Chinese world. And this is the problem. You know, I believe in cultural imperialism. I believe that if we're going to become a globalized world, it's got to be our world because freedom, because freedom. And that is the thing that we're not talking about. We're never talking about at all. So Halloween is over, and you know what that means? Christmas is tomorrow. There's absolutely no gap between Halloween. We just go right into Christmas. And this holiday season, more people will be mailing stuff than ever before. You do not want to be in the post office waiting online. You love the post office. You want what they do, but you don't want to be in the post office. And Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS right to your computer. Stamps.com is a must for any business, whether you're a small office sending out invoices, an online seller fulfilling orders during this record-setting holiday season, a giant warehouse, or just a guy who wants to send your mom a Christmas package, go on your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Don't spend a minute of your holiday season at the post office this year. Sign up for Stamps.com instead. There's no risk. With my promo code Claven. you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Claven. That's Stamps.com. Enter Claven. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again if, and only if, you know how to spell Claven. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's. <laughs> I was going to say that because I make it look so easy. Sometimes people are fooled. You know, let's let's take another example. Another example of this. On Thursday, last Thursday, an Islamist killed three people, decapitating one at the Basilica, nearly decapitating one at the Basilica of Notre Dame in Nice while yelling Allahu Akbar. Two weeks ago, a a teacher was beheaded after he showed controversial cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad in his class. The Associated Press decided this was the time, I'm reading this from uh, Newsbusters, this was the time to ask why France was causing this, why France was causing this. Their original AP Explains article was headlined, Why Does France Incite Anger in the Muslim World? (laughs) They changed this a little later to why France sparks so much anger in the Muslim world. Here's just a touch of the story. Many countries, especially in the democratic West, 
champion freedom of expression and allow publications that lampoon Islam's profit. So why is France singled out for protests and calls for boycotts across the Muslim world and so often the target of deadly violence from the extremist margins? This is like saying to a woman, why are you the person? What did you do to get raped? You know, why are you the person who got raped? What, what were you doing wrong? It's brutal colonial past, we say of the French, says AP of the French, staunch secular policies and tough talking president who is seen as insensitive toward the Muslim faith all play a role. As Fran- you know, <laughs> there's a, an op-ed like this in the New York Times, a former newspaper, is France fueling Muslim terrorism by trying to prevent it? <laughs> by Victor, Vic, Vincent Geyser. He's a political scientist. We have to listen to the science, as we know. He says, in addition to security and counterterrorism measures, the French government responded to the killing of the teacher, uh, Mr. Paty, by vigorously reaffirming the right of free speech, including the right to satirize and blaspheme, and let allow blasphemy, blasphemy in France now, as well as the central role of France's version of secularism known as laïcité in all state institutions, especially public schools. If anything, he says, it is the French government's rhetoric that could end up convincing some Muslims that they are indeed different from other French. It's the French's fault. And as always with these guys, they strip, they strip minorities of agency. They strip the, the killers of agency. They will not acknowledge that the killers have ideas that just like us, they are acting on their ideas. And I'm not trying to tar all Islamic people with the same brush. I'm truly not. Even though I disagree with their ideas, not all Islamic ideas are violent. But there is a large uh portion of Islam that has been taken over by these people and is violent and does want to oppress people and will respond to what they see as blasphemy with horrific violence. They are acting on their ideas. And that's the thing that nobody seems to discuss and that we have now built a media dedicated not only to not discussing it, but to avoiding those kinds of ideas. Last week, I'm going to talk, this is a personal experience, but an interesting one. Uh, I went to a town hall with my friend Jesse Lee Peterson, who I love. I just I think Jesse Lee Peterson is is a great guy. Uh, one of one of the few people I look at uh, who may be one level up from me and being willing to say whatever he thinks. I mean, I pretty much tell you whatever I think. I will I will not uh, censor myself. He's like another level. I mean, he truly does not care uh, what people say about him, and he will do whatever he has to do. And so it was a panel of four people, and with Jesse. Uh, moderating uh, over at Bond, which is uh, it's just he just does terrific work. And you can see this. You can go on and watch this panel. So there was a guy there who calls himself Destiny. His first name was Steve. And uh, he, he was a left wing talker, a left wing guy on YouTube. He had a show on YouTube and he calls himself Destiny for some reason. Uh, and there was another guy named Joe Collins who is running against Maxine Waters here in L.A. at the 43rd uh, Congressional District. And a lot of the the town hall was Joe and this guy, Destiny, really getting into it. They obviously got on each other's nerves and they were screaming at each other. So there's no place for me to speak because they were just yelling at, at one another. But I did notice that the way that, and, and by the way, I want to make it clear that I had a lot of respect to this for this guy, Destiny, for showing up. This was a very, very right-wing crowd. I mean, Jesse Lee brings in a very white right-wing crowd and Destiny showed up. You know, he showed up and he took the booze and he took the people yelling at him and they took the, the mockery and the nasty questions and he stood up to it all. And he was relatively, I mean, I won't call him, 
I won't call him amiable, but he was at least relatively uh, civilized. And I, and I really respected him for that. So like, this is not a personal attack on him. He has the right to his opinions. But there was a different way that he argued from the way that other people argued. In the times when I had conflicts with him, debates with him, I would bring up issues that concern me. And he would respond with talking points and debating tricks. And this is one of the reasons I don't like to debate. I don't like to debate because I'm not in a conversation to win. That's not why I have conversations with anybody. I'm in a conversation to hear. I'm in a conversation to uh, respond. I'm in a conversation to find a, a way to find some principles that we can agree on. But here's just an example. When we were talking about George Floyd, I said, you know, is it is it a good thing? Can it be a good thing to hagiographize, to make a, an angel, a saint, out of a guy like George Floyd who held a gun to a pregnant woman while his friends home invaded her house, who was a criminal? He was a criminal. I mean, let us, let us putting aside whether it was good policing when he got killed, because I don't think it was. I mean, the trial hasn't been held yet, so I'm not sure, but I don't think it was good policing. The police that I've talked to say it wasn't good policing. So, but I, is it a good thing? to hagiographize, to make a saint out of this criminal in neighborhoods where there's a lot of young people with no fathers and all. And Destiny's response was, oh, because he's a criminal, he deserves to be killed by the police. <laughs> you know, after that, where where does the conversation go? Where does the conversation go after that? You can't, you, you know, there's, there's no, that's a talking point. That's not an idea. It is an idea that maybe it's a bad idea to hagiographize criminals. It's not an idea like, oh, then he deserves to get, uh, killed by the police because nobody said that. Nobody said that. Same thing happened when Joe, this guy, Joe Collins, this guy, was, Joe Collins was a very, very impressive guy. He was a Navy veteran of the Iraq war. He had come back to his neighborhood, which has been run by Maxine Waters. She's been there for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. She's been in government for over 40 years. She's done nothing. She's not, she hasn't made the lives of black people any better. And you've, you've seen her. She's 80 years old. She's crazy as a bat. She's like an absolute nutcase. And for the first time, she's on the run. It looks like Joe may have a shot at bringing her down. He may have a shot at winning in L.A. because he knows this neighborhood. And he says, look, he's he's a Republican. He's for Trump. But if Biden gets elected, he will work with Biden to get what this neighborhood needs. So he and, and Destiny got in an argument. They got in a lot of arguments. And at one point, somebody called in and asked for a definition of per capita. And Joe kind of bobbled the ball. He didn't really define it clearly, and he didn't define it right. And all the comments from the left were, how on, how on earth, how on earth can we have a congressman, a congressman, as if that were a really elevated position, which is not, by the way. How can we have a congressman who doesn't know what per capita means? And you can go on YouTube and look at this thing, and you will see comment after comment from the left. He doesn't even know what per capita means. So this is a guy who fought in the Iraq war, coming back to his neighborhood, which is run by Maxine Waters, who has done zippity-doo-dah for the people of her community, right? She's done literally nothing for them. And he has fresh ideas and he has new ideas. And he's obviously a cool dude with a, a very intelligent guy. And the question is, does he know, can he define per capita under pressure? There are a lot of words I know the meaning of that under pressure, I'm not sure I would be able to define. Is that really the question? Is that really the question? And isn't that the way that Trump has been covered all this time? Isn't it how he's been covered all this time? And isn't it a distraction from the ideas that we're fighting over? This is this is the point I'm making. When somebody says, when somebody says, oh, you know, just because he's a criminal, does that mean the police has a right to kill him? That, you know, 
he is distracting from something. He is distracting from the question of whether a problem in our communities, in our black communities or any communities, is the police or whether it's criminals. And if it's criminals, how did it get to be that? What is the problem there? Are we not going to talk about that? Are we not going to have that debate at all? I mean, there are two sides, two groups of people. They believe different things. Are we not even going to be d- debating that? Are we really going to be debating Kofifi versus Kabak the Bekeer? You know, I mean, that's really what we're going to be talking about. This is the thing with the way they cover the pandemic and why the pandemic is such a uh, source of hostility and division because those people who should be educating us A, are stupid, B, are doing a bad job, and C, are using talking points. Here's Joe Biden talking about the virus. This is cut one. His chief of staff staff last week said, we're going to do nothing nothing about about the virus. virus. It's here. Our Our frontline health care workers have given all their best to this virus. virus. Everything to beat it. Many of them have died. But we have a president who's given up. I'll never, never give up the world of America. We'll never wave the flag of surrender. We're going to beat this virus. We're going to get it under control. This is not our truth. The truth is, to beat the virus, we first got to beat Donald Trump. He's the virus. He's the virus. Trump is the virus. And if you think that's anomalous, it's not. It's their argument. It's their argument that somehow Donald Trump is to blame for what has happened because of this disease. Same thing is happening in Europe. Europe is doing worse. Germany, which we were being told, oh, their lockdown and their tracing was so great. Now, Angela Merkel says we can't trace people anymore. There's just too many cases. You know, how is it all Donald Trump's fault? He's the virus. Destiny was saying this to me, too. And I would say, you know, I like some of the things that Trump did. He was like, 200,000 people are dead. Yeah, but we don't even know those numbers. Even those numbers are, are completely meaningless because of the way this has been misreported in order to make it a talking point instead of discussing ideas. A couple of weeks ago, I was driving around, absolutely true, and a little light comes on in my dashboard, an engine light. And I pull off to the side of the road and I start going through one of those books. You know, those books you have that have they come in the, they're in the glove box and you open it up and you're paging through trying to find that. And I'm sitting there thinking, what is going on? And you just don't know. And you don't know how much it's going to cost. And that is why you want CarShield. CarShield offers a wide range of protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair, which means that when the check engine light comes on, it's a lot less scary. You have the freedom to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and CarShield gets the rest taken care of. Even if your car breaks down while you're traveling, the choice of a repair shop is still up to you. I used to dread car repairs. Who doesn't? But with Car Shield, you will have peace of mind. Get coverage today and see why Car Shield cars go farther. Call 800 665 2157 and mention code Andrew or visit carshield.com and use code Andrew to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code Andrew. A deductible may apply. You may not re- realize this, but the presidential election is tomorrow. I know you were thinking, geez, I wasn't even thinking about that. You were thinking, whoa, whoa, who knew? Who knew? Well, we, you'll be happy to hear, have an amazing day of programming for you. Our live stream starts tomorrow, uh, November 3rd at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific, featuring special guests, live interviews, and more leading up to a very special episode of Backstage, where we will be covering the results, and that should last until May, uh, <laughs> when the results are finally known. 
If you join Daily Wire right now, you will get 25% off with code ELECTION, so you can watch all of our election coverage live on our Apple TV or Roku app. Watch the election with us at dailywire.com and get 25% off your Daily Wire membership with code ELECTION when you sign up today. And they just told me, I don't, you know, they just told me that we're going to have to wear suits. Uh, what, a, what a talk about a mockery. Talk about a mockery of representation. Talk about a dishonest representation to have the monkeys who work here like me wear a, a suit. I mean, that's this will be the only time this year I put on a suit and I'll be pretending uh, that I'm actually a respectable human being. Uh, so you'll you won't want to miss that. So come on over to dailywire.com. Use the code election and subscribe. Let me give you another example of how we use words to avoid honest discussion, okay? A lot of talk about whether lockdowns work. Do they work? Do lockdowns work? You know, does it work when we lock? I mean, all over Europe, they're locking things down. England just announced another lockdown for a month. Do they work? What does the word work mean? Does it mean it stops the spread of a virus that it, it's a nasty disease? It's not, you know, it's not like just the flu. I mean, there's a lot of long term effects and it's a real thing. You know, I'm not I'm not saying that, but it's probably not going to kill you. It might kill me, but it's not going to kill you. So when you say it works, if it slows the spread of the disease, but destroys the economy, destroys the dreams of people, destroys the businesses of people, causes people to kill themselves using drugs and alcohol, causes people to lose their sense of community, to lose their sense of nationhood, to lose their sense of the fact of the idea that we're all in this together, that it matters that you spend your Thanksgiving with the people you love, that it matters that you celebrate Christmas, that it matters that you go to church and worship God. All of these things matter too. And when you say, does it work? What you're really asking is, does it work for these elites who make their living, like me, on a computer? It works for those elites in that they can still see people. They can still talk. It's a little inconvenient. There's some inconveniences. I can't go to the movies. You know, there's nothing at the theater. A little bit inconvenient, but not really inconvenient like it is if you have a business where you have to stand behind a counter and sell people things or a business where you show up and you go and fix things for people or a business that depends on people coming together, like running a movie theater, then it's not working. It's not working. And, you know, they, the fear-mongering, I mean, obviously I've talked about this, you know, over and over again, the fear-mongering at, at the New York Times, a former newspaper, and CNN, a cesspit of stupidity and lies, is insane. It's insane. Does that, when you ask, does it work? My question is, can a nation full of cowards work? Can a nation full of groveling, cowering, mask-wearing children work? Is that going to work? What kind of nation is that going to be? I mean, isn't that paving the way for this kind of globalized Chinese world that Victor Davis Hanson is talking about and that elites were sort of moving toward? Here's Joe Biden saying, oh, you know, he's going he, it's going to be masks are going to be mandated now. Cut 14. We're going to act to get COVID under control on day one of my presidency. I'll put in action a plan I've been taking about talking about for months already laid out a national mandate. Mask wearing, social distancing, testing, tracing, all things, as President Obama just said, that should have and could have been put in place months and months ago. <laughs> First of all, it's probably unconstitutional. He probably hasn't got a right to impose a federal mask mandate. 
But here, conversely, I was watching the Trump rally yesterday, uh, and I saw this moment, which made me laugh out loud. This is cut five. Don't tell anybody, but let me wait till a little bit after the election. <laughs> you gotta love Donald Trump. He's got like absolutely no screen on his mouth. They're sh- shouting, if you couldn't hear it, fire Fauci, fire Fauci. And he says, don't tell anybody, we'll wait till after the election. But why fire Fauci? Because Fauci has been a minister of fear. Fauci has been a minister of shut down this, shut down that. And and that would be fine. That would be fine if he was treated like a, an advisor to the president and one of the opinions that Donald Trump had to listen to. But the press elevated him because of, because they're selling fear, because they're selling cowardice, before, because they're selling globalization. They are elevating him to this, uh, you know, to the level of a sage. The New York Times calls him science. Whenever Trump disagrees with them, they say Trump disagrees with science. <laughs> Fauci is science. And, you know, he's one guy. He's a guy, the guy in Sweden who's him uh, in Sweden disagrees with him entirely. There are different opinions. And Trump has to wonder, ask himself the question, does this work for everybody? How does this work for people who make their living uh, going out into the world? How does it work for people who, you know, need to get their education, for people who need to send their children back to school? How is this working for everybody? So, you know, and and these are the issues when you see those two issues, Biden saying everybody's going to wear a mask. I'm going to, you know, make everybody wear a mask. And then you see people fire Fauci, fire Fauci. They're not talking about masks and Fauci. This is the point I'm trying to get across. They're not talking about masks, uh, about masks and Fauci. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about freedom and fear. That's what they're talking about. They're talking about freedom and fear. How do we go forward? You could look a reasonable person, two reasonable people, left and right, two reasonable people could sit down and say, one could say, look, here's the the science. We think that some social distancing and masks uh, would help. Uh, we think maybe we should shut down the, the economy, you know, and the other person says, well, look, if you shut down the economy, there's going to be all kinds of ancillary losses. People are going to die for all kinds of reasons. And masks, you know, it's, it's offensive for the governor of Michigan to suddenly become, you know, or uber Sturm Fuhrer Gretchen and tell everybody what to do. You could have that discussion. You could say, well, all right, can we get to a place where we can be a little safer, but remain free? Can we get to a place where we can be free, but also be a little bit more responsible to one another? You know, those are arguments you can have. We're not having those arguments. And the the thing is, it's one thing in a political rally where they're screaming and yelling, but it's another thing when the press, when the communications industry doesn't want to talk about the ideas. Kamala Harris yesterday released this video. I think it was yesterday released this video that is really quite amazing, describing the difference between equality and equity. This is cut nine. So there's a big difference between equality and equity. Equality suggests, oh, everyone should get the same amount. The problem with that, not everybody's starting out from the same place. So if we're all getting the same amount, but you started out back there and I started out over here, we could get the same amount, but you're still gonna be that far back behind me about giving people the resources and the support they need so that everyone can be on equal footing and then compete on equal footing. Equitable treatment means we all end up at the same place. That's also called communism. That's called communism. Because if we're competing, even if we compete from a standing start, which will never happen, that's never going to happen, because how are you going to get that start without like robbing everybody's money and giving it to other people, which is communism? 
even if we compete from a standing start, if I go into playing basketball and LeBron James goes into basketball, we are not going to end up in the same place. He has LeBron privilege. He has talent that I wasn't born with. Good for him and a work ethic. We both share a work ethic, but I could work all day long. I still won't be LeBron, you know? And so this is, she's actually selling communism. And it matters. I'll tell you why it matters. Here's a, a Biden staffer introducing Kamala Harris the other day. Let's cut two. I am so honored to introduce the next president of the United States, Senator Kamala Harris. <laughs> next president of the United States. Here's Mike Pence on this subject. This is cut three. I think you know the choice in this election has never been clear. The stakes have never been higher. I mean, when you look at their agenda, higher taxes, open borders, socialized medicine, abortion on demand, a Green New Deal, defunding the police, it's clear. Joe Biden would be nothing more than a Trojan horse for the radical left. I mean, I saw in the newspapers that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are already angling for cabinet positions. (laughs) Well, you know, Here's the thing. Socialism, communism, these are materialist ideas. The idea that you are equal when you have equal amount of stuff with other people. Our idea of freedom is a spiritual idea, that you have the same rights, you have the same responsibilities, you have the same worth in the eyes of God, and therefore should be viewed the same in the eyes of the law. Those are spiritual ideas. That's really the argument we're having. What are we? Are we made of meat? Are we made of meat and chemicals? Or are we something more? There may be governments that work better than freedom. A king might work better than freedom, but you won't be free. Does it matter? Do we care anymore? Do we just want to stay safe, stay home, stay indoors, wear a mask and be, you know, taken care of? Or do we want to be free? That's the conversation we're going to have to have going forward, whether Trump wins or whether he loses, it doesn't matter. You know, it's really interesting to me that (laughs) now suddenly as the force of their ideas scrolls out. The left is shocked. Leftist, Wolf Blitzer sent out a tweet, said, I never thought I would see so many buildings here in the nation's capital boarded up on the eve of a presidential election in anticipation of possible unrest. And it's not just in D.C. It's happening in New York, Los Angeles and elsewhere around the country. So sad. Well, instead of tweeting out to me, who has opposed all this violence, why not go down the hall to his colleague, Chris Cuomo, and say, Chris, you know, when you go on the air with a tie and jacket looking like a responsible adult human being, with a camera in your face so that you actually look like a journalist, which you're not, and a microphone, and you say, where does it say that you have to be polite and uh, peaceful to have a rally? You're causing this. It's your ideas that's causing this. This isn't being caused because France is mean to Muslims. It's being caused because you are spreading ideas to people who are only too happy to accept those ideas because they haven't got any ideas of their own. They haven't learned anything. They're ignorant. They don't know how freedom works. They don't care how freedom works. Andrew Sullivan, a kind of, you know, he parades as a conservative. He's one of these guys, you know, conservative columnist Andrew Sullivan. He's not a conservative. But he he saw Kamala Harris's video and he said, How can she put out a socialist video two days before the election? I can tell you how. It's because she's a socialist. Suddenly, these guys are shocked. They're shocked like they'll be shocked when the rioters turn up at their house. And suddenly, they'll say, where's the rule of law? Where's the rule of law? 
You know, it, they're shocked that these ideas play themselves out. Does the New York Times think they won't be beheaded? Does the AP think they won't be beheaded by Islamists? Islamists would behead them in a second. Why? Because Islamists have an idea about God that is not our idea about God. Okay. The violence that happened during the Reformation between Christian and Christian was so shocking because it was a violation of Christian precepts. And it's what led us to say government has to be secular and the uh, sides of Christianity have to fight it out in a philosophical way, not with force of arms. That was a change that was made to bring Christianity more in line with Christianity. If Islam is brought more in line with the Quran, Will it look more peaceful? Will it look like Christianity or will it look like Islamism? I don't know the answer to that, but that's a conversation that should be had. But instead of having that, we act as if everything is economic. Everything is, uh, you know, the result of our actions instead of understanding that everybody, everybody in the immortal words of my uh, friend, a magnet who wrote this wonderful book, The Dream and the Nightmare. He said people act according to the ideas in their head. And that is what we're arguing about today. And that is what this election is ultimately going to be about. I, I know for a lot of us, it's going to be about, oh, Donald Trump is good and Joe Biden is bad. But in the end, after it's over, whether Trump wins or whether he loses, we are going to have to have a serious discussion, a serious discussion about where this country is going. And do we still believe in the religious chain of ideas that brought us to this place? Do we still believe in any of them? Tomorrow's election day. Don't sit around and complain. Do not sit around and complain and not go out and vote. You got to vote. You got to vote if you're going to complain. Your voting buys you the right to complain. So go, get out there and do it. Put your vote. Put your vote out there, and we will see what we will see. And the Daily Wire team will be here to cover it all. I'll be back again tomorrow. I'm Andrew Claven. This is the Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Edited by Adam Saivitz and Danny D'Amico. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, or head and makeup, is by Nika Geneva. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. Mm -hmm.